Welcome to Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast with Elizabeth Crawford, where I dish with trendsetters, tastemakers, and industry experts about everything from emerging trends to marketing strategies to regulatory pressures. Given that only 2% of the food and beverage sales currently are generated online, and that shipping perishable or fragile or heavy CPGs can take a substantial bite out of already tight margins, it may be tempting for food and beverage entrepreneurs to skip e-commerce. But giving e-commerce a pass would be a huge mistake, given how quickly the channel is growing for these industries and how influential it is for sales across channels, according to Stephanie Leffler, who is the co-founder and CEO of OneSpace, which helps position CPG brands on the digital shelf. At the Digital Food and Beverage Summit in Austin, Texas last week, Leffler pointed out that even if consumers aren't buying as many groceries online now as they are in stores, the Food Marketing Institute predicts that in five to seven years, up to 70% of U.S. consumers will regularly grocery shop online. And even if they're not buying all those groceries online, they're often turning to the internet to learn more about products or to build their shopping lists or their carts. With this in mind, Leffler says grocery brands must ensure that their products not only are available online, but also easy to discover, an attribute that can be difficult to achieve without a clear strategy that takes into account consumer behavior online and also the different characteristics of each host retailer. In this episode of Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast, Leffler walks us through these issues and shares advice on how to maximize discovery by leveraging images, search filters, enhanced content, and consumer reviews. Online sales of food and beverage trail far behind other categories for many reasons, but according to Leffler, the space is changing dramatically, making e-commerce a channel that manufacturers and retailers in the space can no longer ignore. So the food and beverage space is changing dramatically. And I think that the the key message there is it's not just about e-commerce entering the scene, but it's the options that people have, consumers have, about where they procure goods or how they procure goods in general is very different. And food and beverage is a space where you want to, if you want something, you usually need it very quickly. And it's pretty expensive to ship these things. So there's a, there's a big reason why we're behind. You know, there's a little bit of a chicken and egg scenario where consumers weren't buying food and beverage through traditional e-commerce. So retailers weren't building great features around it, but that all has changed with the rise of Instacart and shipped on the delivery front with players like Walmart and Kroger investing heavily in pickup options and with apps becoming more usable, CPGs creating better content so you can find the food that you're looking for or beverages on on the app. So all of the, the, the flywheel is spinning at this point. And so I think the consumers can now find these options. You know, Instacart's going to deliver to 80% of U.S. households. 3,000 out of 4,000 Walmart stores have pickup as an option. So I think consumers all over the U.S. can find food and beverage, you know, quick delivery, quick e-commerce opportunities now more than ever. I don't think you can can ignore it because when you know that's that's really the key message here is that it's not so much about e-commerce it's not about how it's delivered it's about how it's procured how it's bought so if I don't set foot in a physical store all of the marketing techniques that have been in play over 
the last however many years are are certainly still important, but they're not the end-all be-all. You can't be on an end cap and win if somebody doesn't see the end cap. An Instacart shopper isn't going to respond to an end cap. So what you have to do is you have to be where the person is searching, browsing, and adding to cart. And that's in a digital place, even when you're not getting the product shipped to you. So I don't think that there's anyone cold, frozen, perishable. It doesn't matter anymore. It's, it's important to everybody. For brands that started out in brick and mortar, the move to online can be challenging because many rules for enticing consumers in-store don't apply online, and the path for discovery is very different. For example, in-stores, brands can pay for premium positioning at eye level or to be part of an end cap display that catches consumers' attention. But in the digital world, consumers are less likely to meander from page to page the same way that they might walk aisle to aisle. Instead, they often start their journey at the search bar, which is also where Leffler says brand marketers need to begin. Consumers are discovering a ton online. If you think of search as the ultimate discovery platform, what we see on Kroger is that 80% of the searches conducted there don't have a brand in them. So people are searching for... light roasted uh, light roasted coffee for instance and all of a sudden they get lots of products that match their search and if you walk into a traditional coffee aisle and you're looking at coffee you're really attracted to brand first and then you sort of your eye goes to refine what you want but now you know you're you're separating the men from the boys so to speak and now you're presented with a bunch of different light roast coffees as options and so I think it's easier for consumers to jump from one brand to another or discover a new product but of course the key is that you have to be there when they conduct that search. So um, that's why this stuff becomes so, so important. With this in mind, Leffler says the most important way brands can maximize consumer discovery is by understanding how they search for products and how e-commerce platforms direct them. The most important thing to understand is that you have to get your hands on information to show you what consumers are typing into that box. So it's, you know, there's different searches happening across all of the different retailers. And the first step is to understand what they're, what they're actually typing so that you can then optimize your product information to be found when they type that in. But if you don't know what they're typing in the first place, you're kind of, you know, up the creek without a paddle. So talking to retailers and building partnerships with them to maybe provide you data. There are different tools in the market. OneSpace provides a tool that helps you see that. Um, But that's really the first step. We have really two key things. One is um, we provide a data product that pulls in information across 19 different retailers, in particular, nine different grocery retailers. So Walmart, we have a a feed of Walmart online online grocery specific search, Amazon, Amazon Prime Now, Kroger, Meijer, Um, Instacart, uh, Target, Sam's Costco. So we pull all that information in and then we actually classify all those searches. So it's not just about seeing a dashboard of what consumers are searching across each retailer, but also we tell you a lot more about the information. So what brands are included in these searches? What attributes are they looking for? So you really know how search differs across the marketplace. And you can kind of consume all that information in a dashboard. We then also have a software product that helps um, CPG, food and beverage companies, optimize their products for each retailer's unique digital shelf and helps them understand what's important where and kind of drives that a little bit. Because it's tough to keep up with requirements for 
you know, in many cases, uh, you know, 20 retailers, uh, we find it hard, it's hard to keep up with requirements for even three or four because they change so frequently. So our software helps them do that as well. When it comes to maximizing the search features on different e-commerce sites, Leffler says manufacturers need to realize that not all online retailers approach search the same way, which means they can't apply the same blanket approach to all of them. I think for some reason people assume that you know, when somebody types in a search bar, that they're going to type the same things in every retailer's search bar. But what we see is there's a couple of key things that, that tell us that that's not true. First, you know, if you look at the average Walmart shopper and the average Amazon shopper, there's two different missions or two different purposes in many cases. Amazon's a very, very uh, deep product set. It's a specialty site. So people come and they're looking for something very specific versus if you're going to refill your pantry for the week, you might search in a much more generalized way to find those items. So there's just a little bit of difference there. There's also big technical differences between the sites and how they ultimately influence consumer search behavior. So when you start to type in a search box and you see the search suggest drop down, people are very likely to choose one of those options. And so it aggregates a lot of search traffic on a small set of terms, but it, that, that's very different for every retailer in terms of what they show there. There's on-site navigation opportunities that can direct consumers to a search results page. So these are some of the things that really influence like big differences from one retailer to another. So that's why that's that's why that occurs. While each retailer's search function may be slightly different, a common element among them is how they base the results on manufacturers' product information pages, making these a critical focal point for brands, according to Leffler. When you think about product detail page content, there's really a couple of elements that I would say are the are the core. So your title, which is probably the most important thing you can you can do, um, you've got your bullet points, which should be filled with keywords, but not overly. I mean, you really want to talk about the features and benefits of the product and why somebody should buy it. Make sure they have clarity of what they're buying. Um, the product description is a good place to continue on that mission that you started in the bullets, but in a more expanded way. can't get any closer to the point of add to cart than you are on that product detail page. So it's very important to put your best marketing efforts forward there, but it's not high level, you're not at the top of the funnel. You have to remember, like you're they're about they're about to grab this thing and put it in their shopping cart. So it's more nitty-gritty details about the product and like deeper features that you should be talking about in that image carousel in, in, in your bullets. Your marketing team had to do their job to get the customer interested or familiar with the brand, create that emotional part. This is this is no longer emotional. This is very much a mechanical decision of does this match my diet needs or how many of these bottles am I going to get? It's, it's, uh, it's pretty transactional at that level. A pivotal component of the product detail page that is often overlooked by brands is the enhanced content that appears quote unquote below the fold. Leffler explains that this information is important because even though it appears farther down on the page on a computer, some retailers actually put it at the top of the page when a consumer is using their phone to shop something that's happening more and more often. So A-plus content or enhanced content is, and people call it below-the-fold content sometimes, and I know with lots of devices, the fold is not really a thing anymore, but it, it used to appear at the bottom of the page. It's usually filled with imagery, HTML, and you can do things like really 
drive home a brand message and you can have lots of different modules. So it's a much more um, enriched experience over just the above the fold content. But the, the key things to know there are that you can, uh, certain retailers support it and others don't. So Walmart, Target, Amazon, you're going to be able to have that content out there. But Amazon has made a change this year that makes it, it's a really important thing for especially food and beverage companies to pay attention to, which is they put that content, that an, an A plus content above the normal bullets and description when you're shopping on your mobile device. And since the majority of Amazon customers are shopping on mobile devices, that's really the product description that they see. But a lot of brands kind of went to market with just a, a brand message of like, hey, our brand is great. Here's all the reasons why we're great. And it wasn't product specific. Well, now we are seeing brands really shift focus to making sure that that content is product specific, because if that's what consumers see first, you don't want it to be a general brand message at the point of purchase for mobile. Other things are to pay attention to how each retailer returns search results on mobile, because often they truncate the titles at a shorter length than what they allow. So paying attention to what's actually showing up in, you know, in that experience and making sure that they can understand what your product is and whatever room has been allotted. Uh, just for example, walmart.com's app truncates at 50 characters. Walmart grocery app truncates at 100 characters. So if you're primarily a grocery product, you can put a little more. If you're really focused on .com, you probably need to make sure that all the important information is right up front quickly. So you just have to look at each one. Um, the other tip I always tell people is there's a trick you can use in just any Chrome browser where you can mimic uh, a mobile experience and you can mimic every kind of mobile device there is. So you can look at all the different iPhone types, all the different operating systems and see what your product detail pages look like through, the, through that lens. Another key feature on the product detail page that heavily influences consumers is the photo carousel which Leffler says is where brands can recreate that in-store experience of shoppers picking up their product to inspect the packaging. Image carousel is a very, very important piece of real estate on the page where you can, if you think about it, imagine a consumer walks into a, a brick and mortar store and when they look at your product, there's a screen right there that they can touch and swipe through, you know, all your marketing materials that you've spent time and effort building about this product. I think the biggest things are, you know, you want to you want to match the in-store experience. So one of the things you can do is look at the product packaging. Anything that's important about that item that's that's pulled out in a burst or called out on product packaging is a really good thing to give its own image to and to try to expand on it a little bit because you have real estate to do that. So if it's a certified organic product, you know, pull your organic seal in a big way so that it's really easy to see when somebody's shopping on a mobile device. Um, so that's, that's one very good way to start to build that image carousel. The other one, like I said, is to clarify how many of these things are you getting? What package is this? What flavor is this? And just make sure that the things in the physical store that you'd feel real comfortable with are, you can make them feel equally as comfortable online. And then I would generally stay away from, and people say, oh, you mean lifestyle imagery. And I think to me, I'd say, no, I would unequivocally say, stay away from what I would classify as lifestyle imagery, because typically that doesn't have call outs. What you want to do is feature benefit imagery. So if the lifestyle image happens to support that, and you can very specifically call out what the benefit is you're showing. So imagine a 
headache medicine that, um, you know, works for 24 hours and you show somebody running, you know, you, you're getting that message across, but you need to also put in text on that image that this lasts for 24 hours or helps you through your entire day or something like that. So that it's very obvious. You don't really want to launch those without, you know, helping, giving that customer the, the aid of what are we talking about here? So those are, those are some of the keys. There's a, there's a really good site, the Cambridge Institute that puts out a whole bunch of research about product images and imagery. It's not everything there is to know, but it's a good start to understanding what are the things that you should do to come up with the right kind of basic pack shots, and, you know, because the feature benefit images are good, but basic pack shots is really where you should start. Those have to be right first. So that, that site is a very good guideline for somebody just trying to figure out what they're supposed to be doing uh, to get started. The filters that many online retailers allow consumers to use to refine their searches also can heavily impact a brand's or product's quote-unquote discoverability, according to Leffler. So the filters in the food and beverage space in particular are tremendously important because there are many people who, by the nature of the diet they're following or the food drive they belong to, are not going to eat every product that's in the search results. So it's a very quick way for somebody who's gluten-free or keto or you know, organic only to find just the foods that apply to them. So consumers in the food and beverage space use those filters on the left-hand side heavily to take a search result and get to just the food that applies to them. So I think if you're on, on board with the fact that those are important, the next step is how do I actually show up when somebody clicks on gluten-free if my item is gluten-free? And that usually involves submitting that information to the retailer in the proper format. Every retailer takes it a little bit differently, but that's something that you can talk with a, with a retailer about and find out exactly how you should be providing that information. Um, there are some tips and tricks to it. So Walmart, when you're setting up a new item, it's in there. It's, you can do it in supplier center. You can do it in the template. Amazon, you only can do it on new item setup. Um, for Target, there's a company called Label Insights that actually supplies that left-hand navigation. And you can submit your products to Label Insights for free. That way, when you sell them on Target, you can be confident that your items will be returned in the left-hand nav. So, you know, for each retailer, it's a little bit different. But in the food space, I would make sure that my attributes were very complete across the board. Once brands have their product detail pages in order and have maximized them for each retailer's different search features, Leffler recommends that they turn their attention to consumer reviews, which she says hold a lot of weight among shoppers today.
Reviews and the quantity of reviews is something that consumers absolutely look at to gain confidence in the purchase that they're about to make. Um, I think it can close the deal or it can lose the deal for you. So paying attention to those is very important. Um, I think the, you know, the way we approach this is if you don't have all of your content opportunities as a brand filled, then consumer reviews take on a whole new uh potentially level of risk, but in level of reward, because that's what consumers are going to look at as their default information method. So what we would recommend is if you fill all of the image slots on Amazon, for instance, you're not going to run the risk of having any user-generated content fill that Amazon. You're also going to stop three Ps from filling your image carousel with images that they submit. So making sure that you know you, you do your job as a brand is first. Then if you can work to collect consumer reviews, it's a really, it's a really good idea to tr- get as much traction on your products as you can. So even, you know, some keeping, uh, putting cards within the products that you manufacture so that when a consumer actually receives them through whatever vehicle, they get it to, to be able to go online and place a review and you can guide that behavior. That's a really good, really good option. But, um, reviews will always be there. Um, but I would say you should focus first on your content, then on making sure you can collect as many reviews as possible. And last but not least, I know it sounds crazy, but you know, read them, uh, get your teams to read them, get your product people to read them. There's a lot of really valuable insights. There's also really good insights in there, uh, because a lot of times people will ask questions about the product in the review section or in the Q and a area and your product content should really be answering all those questions. So if you're trying to figure out how can I do a better job with content, um, perusing those to make sure you've covered the most important things is a good idea. While all of this is a lot to keep track of, Leffler says the main message that she wants brands to hear about online shopping is that it has completely changed how consumers interact with products. She explained that the quantity and quality of information at consumers' fingertips has empowered them to pull from food and beverage companies in the way that previously was not available. This means that marketers can't simply push products. Instead, they need to engage with consumers to identify their needs and how their products can meet those needs. And with that, we've come to the end of another episode of Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast. I hope you'll join me again next week. And to ensure that you remember, I encourage you to subscribe to us on iTunes. Until next time, this is Elizabeth Crawford wishing you a productive and profitable week.